you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25. We'll begin in verse 14 this morning. The text we're looking at is the parable known as the parable of the talents. As we have uh, we have been doing something a little different, and that is for the first several weeks of the new year, we're walking through a study on on stewardship, biblical stewardship, asking the question, what really and truly is biblical stewardship? And so this morning, the title of the message is Divinely Gifted for Kingdom Service, and we're dealing with responsibility and accountability. We've looked at God's ownership. We've looked at responsibility before God. We're looking at our accountability before God, and then even the reward that stewards who, who are biblical, faithful, biblical stewards have when they live righteously and live faithfully for God, we're looking at uh, that reward that even God will grant those who are seen as being faithful. And so this morning, as we approach this passage, I want us to see that God entrusts his servants with gifts to serve in his kingdom. And in this text, in verse 14, we'll begin. If you found your place, say amen. And follow along as I read. <clears throat> For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came and said, Master, you you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given." And he will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I ask that you would give us, by your Holy Spirit, understanding and insight. That you would teach us, Lord, and that you would open our hearts and our minds to be surrendered and uh, 
really susceptible before you, that you would that we would be transparent and that we would uh, give you the, the freedom to reign in our hearts and in our minds and uh, bring things under subjection to your lordship. I pray, Father, that you would teach us this morning and instruct us in all righteousness. And, and Lord, that you would do a work of transformation in our hearts and our minds so that even as we leave this place today, we would be rejoicing in your goodness and uh, and just challenged in the way that we view and the perspective that we have when it comes to living for you and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I think this passage teaches us that God gives each of us with gifts that he expects us to employ them in serving in his kingdom. That is to say that God's people, we, as God's people, we, we must be responsible stewards with God's gifts and building and working and employing them in his kingdom. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want to caution us not to be like the unfaithful servant who grew lazy and even complacent in his, uh, in his responsibility or in his stewarding of what his master had entrusted to him. <clears throat> In a book written by Bill Hall called Christ Like the Pursuit of Uncomplicated Obedience, he shares a story of a man by the name of Samuel Johnson. <clears throat> and in speaking about accountability and just the Christward life, he, he says this structure and accountability empower people enabling them to practice what makes them successful. Ease comes, or ease comes naturally. You don't need to practice it. You, uh, you just kind of drift into it. Some would call ease our default position, the one which we naturally return when we stop short of forming a new habit. That was a case with Samuel Johnson, who is considered second only to William Shakespeare as, literary, as a literary genius in British history. He was a man of prodigious intellect. He's most famous for his version of the English Dictionary, which established the English language as a, as a world-class language. Many have said that Shakespeare had theater, Christopher Wren had St. Paul's Cathedral, and Johnson had, had the English language. He was a large man with highly quirky mannerisms. Today it's called Tourette Syndrome. Two words were used to describe him. And they really dominated his life. One was indolence and the other was melancholy. Today we would use the word laziness and depression. Like many high-strung wonder kinds, Johnson would wallow in his own self-indulgence for months without working and then burst forth with a remarkable string of superhuman accomplishments. He planned to spend three years on the English dictionary. It took ten years of torturous self-loathing. Sometimes months of sloth and debauchery would pass without a word being penned. The description shows this. He, he's a very large man and was dressed in a dirty brown coat and waistcoat with breeches that were brown also. Though they had crimson, <clears throat> though they had been crimson, an old black wig, his shirt collar and sleeves were unbuttoned, his stockings were down about his feet which had on them by way of slippers an old pair of shoes. It was one o'clock in the afternoon, and Johnson had just gotten up from bed. He seldom goes to bed till near two in the morning. 
Johnson was also a man of faith. He prayed. He wrote many wonderful prayers. He rewrote prayer books, and he struggled greatly with his dark side. He was a man of resolution. He would promise himself that in that particular year, he would improve his ways, that he wouldn't drink as much. He wouldn't spend as much time in pubs entertaining his friends and his foes. He hated how much pleasure he got from revelry and how how much torture his work had become. Johnson often regressed, not just slightly like most people. He would free fall like a man falling off a building. Story after story, he would drop before hitting bottom. But like most genius prima donnas, he had his, he had friends and patrons to help him along. His life was so much less than it could have been, at least That's what most of us would conclude. Some might say he was all that he could have been, given what he was. But I refuse to bow at the altar of this reality. As a Christian, I must hold to the idea of sanctification. Johnson and everyone wandering this planet, myself included, are called to something better. I think this is a fitting portrait that it offers us to see the Distinction between the one who takes seriously this gifting from God, the one who takes seriously the calling from God in life and what he has entrusted to us, and the one who just simply wastes his time or her time and squanders away those gifts with which God has entrusted and gifted us. And so as we look at this overarching topic of biblical stewardship, we ask the question, what then is biblical stewardship? We said earlier that it it comes from kind of a a compound word in the Greek. There's one word that means house, another word that means law, and together it means manager of house or or ruler over one's possessions or goods. We said the foundational call in kind of that introductory message from Colossians 1.9, we said it was to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that that would be kind of the foundation that propelled us into this Christward living where we where we walk by faith and we seek to walk in a way where we please God, that we seek to understand his will and his direction and discern his leading in our lives. And then we recognize, secondly, that God owns it all. We saw that from Psalm eight and the connection that we saw was with Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28, that God in creating man, right, he created us in his image. And as he created us in his image, he he created us that we would be his image bearers to steward creation in a way that brings God glory so that we don't use creation for our own glory, but we do it for God's glory. And so we are God's image bearers to his creation. And then we made this Christ connection from Hebrews chapter two, verses six through nine, where we saw the writer of Hebrews quote from Psalm eight, making this application that While in Adam and Eve, there was a twisting and a corrupting through sin of the image that God had given us. We we are creating his image, but but of being stewards over God's creation, there was twisting and corrupting because of sin. And in Christ, we have one who has restored that ability to be those image bearers to creation, to be right stewards, godly stewards over his creation. And so this morning, as we approach this passage, I want us to remove the distinction that we have maybe in our minds or even in our lives where it's compartmentalized, where there's this distinction of of sacred and secular, that we would understand that for the believer in Christ, we are 
called to Christ, we are set apart for Christ, and that we ourselves, we, we, are, we are sanctified in Christ, and because of that, all things in the life of a believer ought to be sacred. Everything in the life of a Christian who walks with Christ ought to be sacred. In other words, everything that you and I do, we ought to be able to say we do it for the glory of God. In any action we take, in any action we do, in anything we say, we ought to be able to declare for the glory of God in doing it. And if we can't declare for the glory of God in doing it, then that means that we're not walking in that which is sacred. We're not walking according to the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Colossians 1, nine. That we're not being faithful stewards with what God has entrusted to us, Psalm 8, and what we even see here in this passage. That God himself is one who has entrusted to his people, to his servants, what he desires us to have and how he desires us to use it and employ it in serving his kingdom. So make this connection from chapter 24. Through chapter 25 here, there are, there are a string of parables that are tied together, and they all focus on the kingdom of God. In fact, if you look in 25 verse 1, chapter 25 verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be com- comparable to ten virgins. And he goes on in verse 14 is the next parable. For it is just like a man, meaning the kingdom of heaven. It's like this. It's like a man who's about to go on a journey. He calls his own slaves to him. Right? And so this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so recognizing, one, that God owns everything. He owns it all, even, even our own bodies. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, that passage that says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. You're bought with a price, Christian. We belong to Christ. We belong to God. So the question we really have as we approach a passage like this, as we're trying to understand what it's teaching, what Christ is meaning in the parable is, as stewards of God's creation, as stewards of of God, what is our responsibility? This parable teaches us that Christ has come with the arrival of the kingdom of God. And beginning in chapter 4 through here, these parables being connected, they, they point us and call us to see God's faithfulness. They point us and call us to see that we also are called to be faithful. We are called to be ready and we are called to exercise stewardship for his glory, for the master's glory. So we must recognize this, that one of the themes here is eschatological. Christ will return. He is coming again. We must be ready. And those who claim to be of the house of God must be living accordingly with what the master has entrusted to his people to live for. So first, I I want us to see the master's sovereignty and the steward's responsibility. The master's sovereignty and the steward's responsibility. Verse 14, we see Christ as the master of the house. And as Christ is the master of the house, revealing his sovereignty and his ownership over everything, right? For it's just like a man who went on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. So here's the owner of the house calling his slaves, his servants to him, and he's entrusting his possessions to him. To them. So they're the ones whom the master entrusts with responsibility of managing managing his resources while he's away. The the word used in verse fifteen to describe those possessions is the word talent. Now, when we think of talents today, we think of a, a special skill, 
right, or an ability. Uh, we think of a gifted athlete, maybe, a gifted musician. That's not exactly what the talent means here in this parable. It specifically references a, a sum of money. Most probably, it would be equivalent to uh, one talent, probably today would be equivalent to about $250,000. And so it's a considerable amount of money. This is a, a very wealthy master as he is entrusting these resources to these slaves or these servants in his home. And so while this, while this parable deals certainly with financial accountability before God, that all of us, all of us, we have a responsibility before God in the way that we use our finances, in the way that we, in the way that we give, in the way that we work and serve in the kingdom of God. That is certainly a truth that flows out of this passage. It speaks to more than just that truth, that reality. It does speak to the gifting, the way that, that the master provides for his servants. And I want us to see that this morning beyond just our finances and in all of life that, that God himself has entrusted to his servants, to, to us to be stewards with the gifts that he has given us. And so I think we see three responsibilities of, of stewards. The first one we see is that stewards are entrusted with the master's possessions. We've affirmed that in verse 14. And so just as the slaves of this parable are entrusted with the master's possessions, we as God's children have been entrusted with the responsibility of, of managing God's resources, of managing these things which God has entrusted to his people. So the parable really highlights God's unique gifting of each individual slave, right? To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one each slave each servant is given a responsibility of overseeing his master's resources but get this he's not overseeing his master's resources for his own profit or for his own benefit or for his own glory instead he is he's overseeing his master's resources for the benefit or the prosperity of the master for the profit of the master and so the question i would ask us this morning to consider is how has God entrusted me? How, how has he entrusted you? How has he entrusted each one of us with responsibility? What are those responsibilities? What are those giftings that God has entrusted us with? So like the slaves, we recognize that God has entrusted us with responsibility, with gifting, and he calls us and we must embrace the responsibility that God has given us that accompanies the gifting that he has given us for his glory. Here's what that means in our day to day lives. Whether we're in a position of authority or under authority of others, we understand that God has given us a place of service for his purposes and and not for our own. Whether we're a teacher or, or a manager or an administrator or an employee or an employer or a parent or a student, etc., on and on. Whatever role we find ourselves in in life, however we find ourselves uh, serving and, and walking in our day-to-day lives, we must understand and be gripped with this truth that God has entrusted to us gifts 
And we, as his stewards, we are to be responsible with using and employing those gifts for his service and for his glory. Ephesians 4, 7 and 8 says this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And listen, and he gave gifts to men. John 16, 7. Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The question we need to ask this morning, even as we're looking into this passage is, how am I being faithful with what God has entrusted to me? Church, how are we being faithful with what God has entrusted to us in our finances, in our relationships, and in everything that we have? How are we being faithful with what God has given us? Notice that God knows just what to entrust to each servant, right? He gives one five, he gives one two, he gives another one one, and it says in verse 15, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. See, secondly, we see that stewards are equipped according to ability. Who decides this? Well, God decides this. The master of the house decides. It's God who equips his people according to their ability and according to how yielded they are, according to what he desires to do and work in and through the lives of his people. That's why it's important for us to make this connection with Colossians 1.9, that we be filled in the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? So that we remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit, so that we, uh, we're ready to hear from God and and so that as we're reading God's word, believer, as you're reading God's word and studying God's word and you're, you're understanding by his spirit and and the Holy Spirit is helping to make application into our daily lives of what God desires to do in and through us. And so the the steward, the biblical steward, the, the faithful servant is is one who finds himself uh, following God and and, uh, and and embracing this reality that God equips us according to our ability. Notice that the slaves aren't concerned. It's not part of the parable. They're not concerned with how much each one of them has been given. It's by God's divine hand that he's given men and women abilities, right? Abilities as to mind and, and body, and, and finances and personality and leadership and relations. Even in thinking about this, especially body physically, we you know as we age, right? We learn that we just we can't do those things that we used to do. Right? The gifting kind of seems to be dwindling with the years. Are we we recognize the uh, the, the the mind and and God calling us to to hone the intellect and. And the ability to think deeply on his word and depend by his spirit are, are the relations that God has given us. And, and to, uh, to work diligently in fostering relationships for the glory of God. Whether it be our finances or our personality or our leadership, it's by God's divine grace which he dispenses his gifts and, and, and the spiritual gifts accordingly. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 11 really 
really kind of highlighted. I, I won't read them all, but verse 7 begins by saying, to, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, right? For to one, the word of wisdom, to another, the word of knowledge, to another, faith, to another, gifts of healing, and on. And then verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, listen, just as he wills. Verse 12 even says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And the point being, there are many different members in the body, but all carrying out a specific role and function and being gifted for the building of God's kingdom, for employing in the work of God's kingdom. And so as we think about removing the the sacred and the secular from our lives and as, as compartmentalized maybe for uh, for how we engage and live, we, we must consider living righteously in complete surrender. And that's where biblical stewardship occurs in our lives in the day-to-day, understanding that we are living for God's glory, understanding that everything we do ought to be done for the glory of God. Because a life spent in service to Christ is much more satisfying than a life spent in service to self. I was reading a book this past week in um, preparation for uh, just for for this message. And uh, and this book is called Stewardship and Missions um, by Charles A. Cook. And it was written in 1908. But it it uh, I, I wanted to see the difference. Was there any difference in perspective and. I want to read one of the excerpts from it for you. He said this in quoting two different businessmen. I I, I would not dare to go into business without realizing that in my business, I was in partnership with God. Another said, "I, I mean to be a businessman for Jesus Christ. I mean to make money for God. Both these businessmen have been adjusting their business activities to the great world of embracing business of the King of Kings and have been making their business a very definite part of that greater business. He says, a Christian man's place of business ought to be, get this, ought to be as sacred to him as any place of prayer. It ought to be a place of prayer. His business ought to be to him really as a divine calling, as is the work of the Christian minister or missionary to the men who are ordained for those spheres of service. No man's life is going to count for much for the good of the world that is not possessed by a sense of divine calling, right? So it is for the student. So it is for the mom. So it is for the dad, the parent. So it is for the the employee. So it is for the business owner. So it is for the retired individual. Whatever our position of service, we, we must have the view of being placed there and having responsibility to the king, to steward, to steward that place in life, to steward those gifts from God for his glory. The question we would ask then is, do we view our roles and positions in life, our spiritual gifts, our money, our time, our intellect, as that which has been entrusted to us by God to be employed for his glory? It's a good question for us to consider all of life, everything we have being used for his glory. We see faithful stewards as a third characteristic, faith or responsibility. Faithful stewards live with urgency. 
faithful stewards live with urgency. It says there in verse 16, notice what happened once they were entrusted with these talents, right? Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more. Verse 17 says, in the same manner, the one who had received two went and did the same thing. The third one, not so much. You know, there's, there's a difference there's a difference between the first two and, and the third slave, and that difference is significant. The first two take delight in their master. They live to please him, and they, they want to, to use the gifts, and they employ these gifts that the master has given them. They employ his possessions in making more for him. Verse 16 says they went and traded. They traded the talents uh, with and employed them and, and gained five more talents. In other words, that word traded, they, they worked and, and they labored diligently and intently in, in employing these talents to gain more. They were like fine tradesmen, making, the, making it their business to learn the trade and to excel in the trade. They wanted to invest all they had been given to profit more. They wanted to do this and, and invest this so that all of life was bent toward this profit and toward this purpose of, of multiplying what had been entrusted to them. Not for their own glory, but for the glory of their master. This third slave, however, he, he denies the master. Instead of going and trading what had been given to him, he goes and he hides. He digs a hole in the ground, which was common for that day, and, and hides what the master has given him. He keeps it a secret. In other words, hiding his master's money, he's concealing it. He, he's not delighting in his master. Instead, he's denying his master. He doesn't truly understand the nature of the master nor the nature of his gift. And instead of using the gift, he buries it and gets this. He wastes the time of his master's going away and coming back. And the interim time in which he could have done so much with the gift that was given him, he just wastes it away. He allows it to just go unused. He digs a hole and he buries it. He hides it. And I would challenge us to recognize for us, as we serve in God's kingdom, there is an urgency. There's an urgency to being responsible with the, the gifts and the, the stewardship that God has entrusted to us. We certainly don't know when Christ will return, and that's, that's part of what this parable is communicating. But the truth is that when we delight in knowing Him, we will want to use all of our resources for His glory. We'll be saying, God, how can we use this? How can we... How are we to steward this for your glory? How am I to steward my business? How am I to steward my friendships? How am I to steward my marriage? How am I to steward my parenting? How am I to steward my finances? How am I to steward all of these things for your glory? What does it mean to be responsible to God in these areas? It means to know his will, to search out his will in all of these things. I want us to also see that the master's sovereignty is balanced with the steward's accountability. The master's sovereignty and the steward's accountability. We see responsibility, but we also see accountability here 
in this passage. We have two portraits given to us, one of faithful servants and another of an unfaithful servant, right? Faithful, faithful servants don't serve out of obligation or persuasion. He's not being obligated or even these, these guys aren't being obligated or even persuaded to serve. Instead, they're serving out of a joyful spirit. And I think sometimes we miss this in the Christian life. We miss this idea of having a joyful spirit. We miss the idea of serving joyfully and, and following him joyfully. I think sometimes we miss this idea of the joy-filled Christian life, but God desires us that we would walk in the joy of His Holy Spirit and in joy of communion with Him. That living the Christian life is not always about being beat up and being cast down and being discouraged and distraught and, uh, and, and disenchanted or even walking in depression because we, we recognize our sin. No, it's about walking in the joy of Christ and knowing the victory that comes from from being dependent upon the Holy Spirit, right? From from knowing Him and from following Him. And so as we see fleshed out here, the stewards' accountability, these faithful stewards, they there's almost this tangible sense of, of joy. Verse 19 highlights the master's sovereignty. After a, a long time, the master came to settle accounts, it says, with those that he entrusted his possessions to. Now, this communicates something to us that God has the right to come and to settle the account. As the one who has entrusted possessions, the master has the right to come and to call the slaves into account and say, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? And we see that fleshed out here. After a long time, it was a considerable amount of time that the master was away calling us to be faithful, calling us to endurance. But know this, that we will have to give an account at Christ's return for our stewardship as these servants had to give an account. And so in the faithful servant, we 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 get the impression of excitement. As both of them approach the master, verse 20 says, the one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. And the second one was just like it. He had been entrusted with these talents and he comes excitedly and, and he, he, he says, you've, you've given me this and I come and I bring you five more. And in the midst of, of coming and saying this to the master, it's a, he, he replies and says, well done in verse 21 and 23. It's the same reply. It's identical. Well done, thy good and faithful servant, right? You've been faithful with a little And then he ends up telling him, enter into the joy of your master. With the faithful servant, we see this reciprocal joy between the master and the slave as he comes to present what he. What he's been given, what he's been entrusted with and and what he has done with what he has been given. But we see in the unfaithful servant, as he approaches the master, it's a it's a little different. It's as if the slave blames the master for his own unfaithfulness. And while the faithful servants are are characterized by delighting in the master, the unfaithful servant's life can be characterized really by by fear and and distrust. Look in verse 24. 
And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you you have what is yours. Don't miss what the passage isn't saying. It's, it's not saying here that the slave went and squandered the master's money, the master's possessions on hedonistic living. It's not saying he went and was just immoral and, and wasted everything. It's not saying he went and just employed it for selfish gain or his own, his own benefit, his own glory. No, he just went and he just hid it. And then when he was called into account, he comes and says, here, you have what is yours. His unfaithfulness is measured by what he failed to do with the resources that God entrusted to him. And I think that's huge for us to see this morning. Because many of us have been gifted by the Holy Spirit in in very specific ways. and, And we ought to be employing that in service in the kingdom of God. We ought to be using those gifts in order to share the glory and the joy of Christ. We ought to be using that to to build up the kingdom of God. We ought to be using that to speak encouragement into the lives of others. We ought to be using that to share the the gospel of Christ and the hope of eternal life with, with others. Many of us have been gifted in so many ways that we are we're being like the unfaithful servant who goes and digs a hole and hides it. For what? So that when Christ comes back, we can say, here, you have what is yours. The call. The call of the biblical faithful, biblical steward is to take what God has entrusted to us and to employ it in service in his kingdom. You see, the reality is we must see that God has divinely entrusted us with responsibility to be about his kingdom work for his glory. C.T. Studd wrote a poem, and I won't read the entirety of the poem. You can look it up sometime. It's a a wonderful poem, but the tagline in it throughout is, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I challenge us to think about that and to consider it. This life is fleeting. There are only so many days we are given. Only so much time that we have been entrusted with. Are we using that time as faithful stewards? Are we using it, redeeming the days for the glory of Christ? Are we using our resources for God's glory like the faithful steward or the unfaithful steward? Let's not find ourselves thinking like the unfaithful slave just bidding time, waiting for the master, waiting for Christ to return so that we might say, here you have what is yours, now we'll enter into the kingdom. That's not what Christ's word living is about. That's not what discipleship is about. That's not what the, the call of Christ in the life of a Christian is about. It's not about sitting on the sidelines and, and not serving. It's not about just being an observer. No, it, it's a calling to be engaged. It's a calling to go and to trade and to do the work for the glory of the kingdom of God. It's a calling to live for God's glory. So how are we using our divinely endowed gifts in service to the kingdom of God. In what ways are we doing that? Finally, this morning, I want us to see the master's sovereignty and the steward's reward. We see it in verse 21 and 23. The reward is similar for 
for those faithful servants. He tells them, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. He says it the same for both. God's reward of God rewards the faithfulness of these slaves by or the master rewards the faithfulness of of those slaves by entrusting them with with more responsibility by by saying, come and enjoy, enjoy the, the presence of the master. Enter into my joy, he tells them. There is great joy in walking with Christ and in knowing Christ and living for him. The reward is heavenly. The reward is heaven. The reward is the presence of Christ in our daily life. The reward is contentment in this life. The reward is the joy of seeing others come into the fellowship of God. The reward is seeing uh, seeing God do work, doing many things that we cannot begin to comprehend because we are walking faithfully and serving Him. We're being tools used and yielded for His good. But then with the unfaithful servant, we see that the excuses just don't add up. He comes in one sense blaming, blaming his master, saying, you know, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And his master answered him in verse 26 and tells him, calls him some harsh words, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I didn't sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. You should have at least been more diligent to please me, in other words. If not, take the big risk of employing and investing. You should have at least minimally put it in the bank to gain interest. You should have done just the minimal with the gifts that he had been entrusted with. But even if these things were true, in essence, right? Like, who are you as the servant? Who am I as the servant? To tell God what what I should have done with what he gave me. It was God's gift to begin with, in other words, is what it was the master's gift to begin with. And so he tells them, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have even What he does have, he says, shall be taken away. You see God's divine accounting at work here and blessing and giving abundance to those who are faithful and for those who are unfaithful, removing his hand of blessing and provision. And then the condemnation comes. Verse 30, throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness that that place will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the reality is there would be no excuse when we stand before God on that day for the one who does nothing with his gifts that God has endowed upon him or her. Now, perhaps many in the room here this morning are not in danger of doing nothing with the gifts that God has endowed. But maybe we're in danger of not doing all that God has called us to do. Maybe there are some here this morning who are in danger of doing nothing with the gifts that God has has given you and and, and called you to use and employ in serving in his kingdom. And I want to challenge us to hear, hear the words of verse 30 and consider them and let them think deep, let them sink deep into our soul and, and let them sit on our minds this morning, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth the condemnation that would come to those who are unfaithful 
those who don't know Christ or the opportunity that we would miss out in serving the Lord through the gifts that he has given us and provided us and what would happen in in those gifts being taken away and, and that responsibility being entrusted. The bottom line is God is calling us as his people as he entrusts us with these gifts, with responsibilities to employ them in serving his kingdom. So I would ask fellow disciples of Christ, how are we? How are we faithfully serving God with the gifts he has given us? What, what is our responsibility? What is your responsibility, my responsibility as Christian stewards? How are we using our divinely endowed gifts in service of his kingdom? What are the areas in our, in our lives where we're failing to employ the gifts he has given us? And what are the areas where we're succeeding? We rejoice over there, those areas. We come and say, God, here's what we are doing. We praise the Lord for his work, for his gifts, for his goodness and his provision. And we surrender those areas where we are falling in sin and not employing as he is desiring us. Listen, don't be like Samuel Johnson, who is entrusted with so much but employed so little. Maybe for us this morning it requires a, a turning back and saying, you know what, God, I've been running. I've been doing my own thing. I've been living for myself and not for you, and I know that I've got to turn. And so I'm surrendering this morning, and I'm turning. I'm, I'm, I'm returning. I'm turning back. I want to commit these things to living for your glory. I want to commit to being a good steward of all that you've placed in my possession for your glory. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Or maybe you're like the, the faithful servants who come and say, God, look what we've done. Look what we're doing. We rejoice over, over how God is using us, and we say, God, continue to use us. Multiply your blessing in our life. Continue, continue to grow us. Continue to, to teach us and instruct us. And continue to teach us how to live for you. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. So if that's where you're at, I praise God with you and rejoice with you. This morning, I want to I encourage us to, uh, to be submissive to the Lord hard in our mind, evaluative of our lives as we ask the Lord to reveal those areas to us where, we, where we, we, we're still growing and we need to surrender and, and then rejoice, rejoice in the Lord in those areas where he is blessing and encouraging and gifting. Let us pray. Father, as we, as we come this morning, we know that you know all things, you know all about us. And you certainly, as the one who has gifted us, you know how you desire us to to serve in your kingdom and how you desire for us to live for you. And so, Lord, I I pray that as uh, as servants of yours, we'd be found faithful, that we wouldn't be like the unfaithful servant, but we would be like the faithful ones who live in in reciprocal joy. uh, Who enjoy the blessing and the favor of your hand and and are, are busy about serving you. Not busy for the sake of busyness, but just we're living in your will and walking with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength this morning to confess the areas of our lives where we, we're not living for you, where we're not uh, being good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. This